Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. Happy Halloween, everyone. In celebration of all things spooky and ghoulish, we are presenting three episodes of Inner Sanctum. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is your host, Raymond, inviting you once again to join our uh, scary company. Please... Come in, won't you? We have a, a full quiver of shivers this evening, and a... What? You say it's rather cold in here. Well, some of the chills of our story must have leaked out. Why don't you all huddle together? There's so much comfort in having someone else beside you instead of being beside yourself. <laughs> now, Mr. Raymond, that's no way to welcome people. You're apt to chase them away, talking so scary-like. What? Oh, hello, Mary Bennett. So, uh, you don't think I'm a good host, huh? Maybe I should say, lay your little head on a pillow. Are you comfy, hmm? There. Now, Uncle Raymond will drone you to sleep with a bedtime story. And when you wake up, Aunt Mary will give you a nice hot plate of Lipton's noodle soup. Oh, dear. There's just no talking to you. Folks, please don't listen to the way he talks about Lipton's noodle soup. Try it for yourself. You just don't know how good noodle soup can be until you've tasted Lipton's. It's got such a grand chickeny flavor. It really tastes homemade. And then, of course, Lipton's noodle soup comes in a package, so it's no work to prepare. You just empty it into boiling water, and in a jiffy, soup's on. And another thing, Lipton's makes lots more and costs less than canned soups. Well, thanks for the hot facts, Mary. And uh, here's a fact for you. Did you know that more than two-thirds of the Earth's entire surface is unknown? The uh, salty wastes of the sea? Only a short distance under the surface, death lurks in a hundred different shapes. And that's where we're going to take you tonight in Robert Newman's strange story of... Death in the depth. A wharf in a small seaside town a few minutes before midnight. Moored to the dark, just barely visible through the thick fog, is a stubby, broad-beamed ship. Suddenly, out of the swirling mist, a man and woman appear. He is tall, heavy-set, carries a sea bag over his shoulder. She's slim, attractive. They reach the end of the dock, and he stops. His face haggard. I can't do it, Layla. I just can't. That's all there's to it. Stop arguing and get on board there. Well, I'm telling you, I can't, Layla. I can't. Well, I even think about it. The way the water looks down under. The feel of it pressing against and you. And I'm telling you that you are going, whether you like it or not. Two years of living in crummy second-rate rooming houses. That's plenty, see? Too much. You're going back to doing something that really pays off. But, Leela, I you... told you to shut up. Now stop squawking and let's go aboard. Okay. 
Hi there, the Gasca Bay. Captain Brody around? I'm Brody. Come aboard. Evening, Captain. My name's Farrell. This is my wife. Hello. Hi. I understand you're going off on a job and you're looking for divers. Well, yes, I am. We've got a salvage job off the Keys. It's a tough one, 20 fathoms. We only use real deep water men. What did you say your name was again? Farrell. Steve Farrell. You mean Big Steve Farrell? Why don't you say so? Sure, I can use you. Wait right there. I'll go get the paper. Okay, Captain. Well, was that so tough? Taylor, for heaven's sakes, don't make me do it. You don't know what you're asking me to do it. It's like sending me... Taylor. Did you hear that? Nine bells. What of it? What of it? There's no such thing as nine bells. It's like a clock striking 13 o'clock. And it means death. The, the only other time I ever heard it was when Curly... Listen, I'm getting sick of this, see? You don't want to do any more diving because you've lost your nerve. And because a bell rings nine times instead of eight, you say it means something. Well, what do you think it would mean if I told the police a couple of things I know? I'll tell you. It would mean the chair. Now, how do you like that? Layla, you don't know. Take care of yourself, Stevie boy. I'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks. Feeling pretty good, aren't you? You think you're getting just what you want? Well, maybe you are. Because when I sign those papers, I won't be signing on as a diver. I'll be signing my own death certificate. <laughs> All set, Captain. Any instructions before they close me up? No, Steve. Can't expect much on a first dive, but see if you can determine the extent of the damage. All we know about her now is that she's about 1,500 ton. Her name was the Santa Elena. She went down the collision. Right, Captain. Uh, okay, close them up. Start the pumps. Go away. I'm scared. Scared. I swore I'd never go down again. But here I am. It's all just the way I remembered it. Nothing at first but the quiet. Just the pump, like the echo of your heart beating. And the light fading as you go down. Getting darker. And the cold. The pressure building up. Pressing harder and harder. Gripping you tighter and tighter as if you were being swallowed by something alive. Always down below where you can't see it. Something waiting. Something that... Stop it. Gotta stop it. There was a time when I really used to like diving. When did it all begin? Despair. Yes, that night in the bar in Tampa. She told me she married Curly. Well, this is certainly quite an evening you're giving me, Steve. It's more like a wake than a celebration. Why are you looking at me like that? Wondering whether I should kill you. Whether I should talk to Curly and let him do it. What do you mean? You know what I mean. You know Curly. 
You ever found out how things were with you and me? Well, he's just young enough and crazy enough about you to put you away for keeps. I can handle Curly with my little finger. Besides, you wouldn't do anything like that. Wouldn't I? Why'd you meet me here tonight? You know, it's because you wish you were married to me instead of him. So what? What are you going to do about it? You know darn well he'll never let me go. No. I guess he won't, but... We've got to do something. Yeah. But what? After all, he wakes for me. Diving's kind of dangerous. As a matter of fact, we're getting off on a job tomorrow that's pretty tricky. Steve. When you want something badly enough, there's always a way of getting it. beginning. That wasn't when I was afraid for the first time. That came later. Two days later, out on the reefs. Two days of being with Curly and talking to him. Knowing all the time what I was going to do. And that last dive, late in the afternoon. Standing on deck with Andy, the pump man, and watching Curly through the clear water. Watching him move across the deck of the hulk. As cool as she was, and... You going down, too, Steve? Uh, yeah, Andy. Uh, maybe we can wind up today and start home tomorrow. You can handle both of us? Sure. Only watch the coral over on the port side there, sharp as a razor. Almost took Curly's boot off this morning. If you get into any trouble, well, I'm all alone up here. I'll watch it. Want to button me up? Yeah, Sure. starting to work my way toward the hulk over the coral. There was Curly's hose and safety line lying on the coral, snaking its way to the hulk where he was working. I didn't have to look up. I could tell by the shadow I was under the hull of our ship so Andy couldn't see me. And I came to a place where Curly's line was lying right next to a coral spur. And I knew that was it. I bent down. Looped it around the spur so Andy couldn't pull him up. Hello, Curly. Curly, try your line. I think it's fouled. And I did it. Took out my knife and cut Curly's air hose. Andy must have known it even before Curly did. As soon as the bubble started pouring out of the end of the hose. Hello, Curly. Can you still hear me? I think you're in trouble. Your airline's cut. Hold it and save whatever air you've got. Steve's on the bottom, too. He'll get over to you. Did you hear, Steve? Uh, yeah, I heard. I I'm going as fast as I can. Steve! You gotta hurry. Where are you? Uh, I, I just hit the deck, but it's clouded up and I can't see anything. Uh, where's Curly? Up forward, near the ship's bell. Listen, he says he's going to ring it so you can follow the sound. And for heaven's sake, hurry. Follow the sound. As if I didn't know where he was. Straight forward. I could see him now, his lifeline taut, so he couldn't move. Holding his air hose with one hand and ringing the bell with the other. He was swaying back and forth. And I started counting the strokes. Five, six... Seven, eight. 
Nine. Then he slid down onto the deck. The air bubbled out of his helmet, and I knew he was dead. I remember thinking, nine bells. One bell after midnight. Then suddenly it came over me that this was something I... I was never going to be able to forget. Never. But every time I went down, I was going to see him swaying there, hanging on to the bell, waiting for me. Waiting. Waiting. Steve Farrell wouldn't go back to his old profession of deep-sea diving. Ash, you think it would lose some of its appeal if you expect to meet a dead man every time you go down. Uh, how about that, Mary? Climb board and tell us what you think. Well, Mr. Raymond, I certainly wouldn't like to be a deep-sea diver. To be all alone down there in the cold water with fishes and all sorts of things swimming around you... Mm-mm, that's not for me. Oh, but just think, Mary, when you come up, you could have a nice hot plate of Lipton's noodle soup. I think you've really got something there. Lipton's noodle soup would sure be welcome at a time like that. It's such a heartwarming dish. It perks you up just looking at it, looking at those tender noodles floating in that golden broth. My, I'm getting to talk fancy. But really, folks, Lipton's does taste sort of special. It's got a, a chickeny flavor, and it... Well, it just tastes homemade, like the old-fashioned noodle soup you used to make yourself. But heavens, I don't want to be interrupting Mr. Raymond's story, so I'll just say, try Lipton's real soon, won't you, folks? Now, shall I go on with the story of death in the depths of the sea? That strange underwater world where dead men ring their own death knell on the bells of a sunken ship? Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Just a moment later now. And Steve Farrell is still standing on the deck of his sunken freighter, Santa Elena. Hello, Steve. Steve, anything the matter? Why, uh, no, no, Captain. I'm sorry. I, I thought I heard something funny and I... I, I guess I lost my knife for a minute. After all, this is my first dive in quite a while, but I, I'm okay now. You sure? We can haul you up, send Mike down. No, no, no. I, I'm okay. Uh, I'm going to stay. Well, all right. But don't forget, we can't see you from up here. So keep talking all the time so we'll know exactly where you are and what you're doing. Check. I, I'm up forward now on the, on the port side of the deck. I'm just going inside. Panionway door is jammed shut, and I, I'm blinking on it. There she is. And now I'm, I'm inside in the car door. It's pretty dark. Uh, I'm switching on my light. I can see now, a little way ahead of me at least. It's, uh, it's all kind of queer. Queer? How? Uh, just uh, funny, strange. She scanned it over on her starboard side, so the car just tipped over at an angle. Sort of like a dream where everything's turned around. Kind of different and... Still familiar. Why does it seem so familiar? Seems to remind me of something else. Of... That's it. The car at the hotel right after we were married. Walking down it with her, Leela. Out onto the terrace. The way she took the cigarette I gave her. Smile at me. Very sure of herself. Thanks, Steve. 
thanks a lot. Why the smile, baby? <laughs> Why shouldn't I smile? I'm young, healthy, and I'm married to a guy I like. A guy who's going to take real good care of me. I sure am, baby. Not only that, from now on, things are going to be different. Didn't have a chance to tell you before, but I'm through with diving. But keeps. What do you mean? Just that. I sold a boat yesterday and all the equipment. I'm out of that racket for good. You shouldn't have done that, Steve. Not without talking to me about it first. What do you expect to do from now on? Oh, I'm all set on that. I, I got a job as a second engineer and a freighter, the Arcturus. Well, I guess that'll be all right. For a while, anyway. What do you mean, for a while? You think you're going to tell me what kind of work I should do and what kind I shouldn't do? But of course, Steve. Like I said, I'm your wife. And besides, if I wanted to, I could tell either you or uh, anyone else a lot of other things. Like why you decided to give up diving. What are you talking about? Give it up because I was sick of it. Is that the reason? Or is it because you're afraid that if you did do any more diving, you might start to seeing things? Seeing what? Well, after all, you were right there when Curly had his accident and got drowned. The funny thing is, you were talking about how he might have an accident just before you went off on that trip. I've been thinking I really ought to talk to Andy about it since he was there, too, and find out just how it happened. Andy's not around anymore. He left town right after I paid him off. Oh, I see. Well, remember that the police could probably find him, Steve, if they should ever want to ask him any questions. Steve, Steve, what's the matter? Why don't you answer? Where are you? Uh, what? Oh, oh uh, I'm sorry, Captain. Uh, uh, nothing's the matter. Uh, I guess I was just thinking about something else and... Uh, I'm at the end of the corridor now. Uh, just open the door to the engine room. I'm going across the gratings now and down the stairs. Funny. Something kind of familiar about all this. Pattern on the grills. Picture the stairs. Uh, uh, hey, uh, Captain. Uh, what did you say the name of this tub was? Santa Elena. Panamanian registry, I think. Why? She kind of reminded me of another ship, the, the Arcturus. The Arcturus. What made me think of her? I know why. A year and a half in which I almost forgot about Curly. What had happened down there on the deck of the schooner. A year and a half in which I was almost happy, even with Leela. And that night, the night McHenry came up to me while I was on watch in the engine room. Hi, Steve. How are they going? Swell, Chief. I just cut number two in again, and she's purring like a kitten. Good. Look, Steve, the, the old man claims he's handling a bit heavy. Wants us to sound out the pumps and check the bilge. I told him he was crazy, but, well, maybe we'd better. Okay, Chief, I'll get on it right away. Anyone around to give you a hand? I don't really need any help. But if I want him, Swanson's have someplace. Well, report to me as soon as you're finished. Hi, Chief. Oh, there you are, Swenson. Hey, where you going? Come back oh, here. Go. Hey, wait. Wait a minute. You're not Swenson. Who are you? I, I'm nobody, Chief. I... Stowaway, huh? 
Hiding down here behind the boiler. Uh, give me a break, will you, Chief? I, I ain't doing nobody any harm. Well, I'll be. Steve. Big Steve Farrell. Andy. Andy Andrews. <laughs> and I wanted a break. This is terrific, Steve. Like money in the bank. What happened to you, anyway? Oh, usual thing. Run a tough luck. Been out of work for about a year now. Look, Steve, I'm pretty hungry. I uh, ain't had nothing to eat since we left port. I guess I could pick up some stuff from the galley for you. But uh, I'll have to be careful. Be the devil to pay if they found out I was hiding you. Good old Steve. I know you wouldn't let an old shipmate down. And, uh, Steve, while we're at it, I could use a little uh, cash, too. Yeah, yeah, I figure that. Well, when we get to port, I I guess I could let you have 10 or 20. Uh, that's not enough. I was figuring on, like, uh, 500 for a start. 500? Are you nuts? I don't think so, Steve. You see, after Curly had his little accident and you sold the boat and all the equipment, I figured you'd given up diving because you were kind of upset about it. Then I heard you'd married his widow, that uh, Leela Dame. I started thinking back. I remembered how Curly's air hose looked after we pulled him up. The place where it was cut wasn't rough, like it had been done by coral. It was clean, like it had been done with a knife. So that's it. Blackmail. Oh, why do you have to use words like that, Steve? Okay, Andy. It's uh, going to be a little tough to get, but... Wait a minute. What is it? Someone's coming. One of the wipers. We've got to find some place for you to hide. I know. Down there in the bilge. Here, climb in. Right down through that no, But it's almost full of water. There's plenty of room, and you'll be safe there. Really safe. Oh, okay, but you better not... Oh, what are you doing? Oh, let go of me. Let go. Help. Help. You'll be safe here, all right. I'll see to that. Stop struggling like that, Andy. It's not going to do you any good. And I'm in too deep already to let you go wandering around with what you know. Yeah. Weeks before they find you down here in the Belgians. Maybe they never will. And if they do, they'll figure you tried to hide down there and got drowned all by yourself. <laughs> Talk up and stop mumbling. Where, where are you now? Uh, down at the, uh, the bottom of the ladder, in the engine room. Uh, this uh, light's not too good. Uh, the boilers are right in front of me. And seems to be some kind of a brass plate on the floor here. Uh, Captain! Captain! This isn't the Santa Elena. It, it's the Arcturus. What are you talking about? It is, it is. Don't you understand it? It's a ship where I kill them. And he must still be down here. Down the down the bilges. Get me out of here. Pull me up. Pull me up. Okay, Steve. Don't take it easy. We'll get you up. Start holding him up. Mike, you better go down there fast. See what the trouble is. Hurry up. Hurry up, for heaven's sake. I, I think I see something moving back there. Behind the boilers. Hey, Brody. The bell. like it did when Curly. That means that he's here, too. The boat's here. Can't you get me out? We're trying, but something's wrong with your line. Seems to be fouled. Now, look, Steve. Try to get out yourself. Start working your way back along your line. No good, Steve. You know that, don't you? You're here to stay. Andy. Andy. It, it is you. Sure, Steve. And I got a friend with me. A friend of yours, too. He's standing right next to you. Andy. 
we waited a long time, Steve. But now you're here with us. And now you're going to know exactly what it was like with both of us. You're going to know what it's like to drown. Steve, Steve, why don't you answer? What's the matter? Steve, your lifeline and air hose, I think they're gone. They're... Hey, good enough. Let me go. Let me go. It's too late, Steve. This is it. This is the way it was with us. Trying to fight it first. Holding your breath. Then, when you can't fight it any longer, letting go. The water rushing in. Into your mouth, nose. You choke at first, try to fight some more. Then everything starts to go black, and you relax. There are lights moving in the darkness, and suddenly you feel very peaceful and very free. Peaceful and very free. Did you find him, Mike? Yeah, he was right where you said. Down in the engine room. They're hauling him up now. Uh, it's going to be tough breaking the news to his wife. How did it happen? There's a heavy iron door leading into the engine room. It swung shut, cut his lifeline and air hose. Hmm. Uh, you're saying an awful lot of stuff that didn't make sense, but there was, there was something about a bell. Uh... Well, his lifeline was looped around the bell on the foredeck. Uh? Must have gotten caught when you tried to pull him up. And uh, that may have rung the bell a few times. Uh, there was something else, though. You remember you said uh, he kept asking if the ship's name was really the Santa Helena? Yeah. Well, there was a brass plate in the engine room with her original name on it. And it was the Arcturus. Uh, they must have changed it when they re-registered her. Uh, that is funny. There's one thing that's even funnier... Uh, of course, the whole thing was an accident, but... But I wonder what made that door close. Oh, you do, huh? Even with two able-bodied ghosts about? <laughs> but that's the way we like to leave you, with a couple of things to keep you wondering. And when we do, then we've known we've really rung the bell. The, uh... Funeral bell. <laughs> oh, Mr. Raymond, with all the different kinds of bells there are, why would you, why do you have to talk about that kind? All right, all right, Mary. Pick your own bell. See if I care. All right, then I'll choose a dinner bell. Will you ring it nine times? Huh? No, sir. You only have to ring it once if you're serving Lipton's noodle soup. And folks will come swarming to the table because they know it takes Lipton's to show how good a noodle soup can be. <laughs> Now, before I close the inner sanctum, here's a word of advice. If you should have nightmares tonight about drowning men and wake up with a start and see a strange figure in your room, a figure with staring eyes and seaweed in its hair, dripping water on the floor, don't be alarmed. Just ask it for its haunting license. <laughs> Brother... By the way, this month's Inner Sanctum mystery novel is Net of Cobwebs by Elizabeth Sanksay Holding. Well, now it's time to really close that squeaking door until next week at this same time when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present another Inner Sanctum mystery, 
Directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how you feel, but that spooky bell gave me the shivers. Right now, I'd like to hear a cheerful sound that'd make me forget all about it. Yes, I'd like to hear a tea kettle singing on the stove. And when that water is at a good rolling boil, let's have a cup of Lipton tea. You know, the tea with the brisk flavor. That word brisk, B-R-I-S-K, means that Lipton's has a lively, full-bodied flavor. It never tastes flat or or, or wishy-washy. So don't forget Lipton Tea. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday night for another Inner Sanctum Mystery. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, fiends. Uh, I mean, friends of the Inner Sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, inviting you through the squeaking door. Don't hesitate. Come right in. Oh, it's a bit dark. Careful, don't brush up against that skeleton. Oh, he's quite harmless, I assure you. He's only the skeleton in our closet come out for a bit of air. (laughs) The idea of a skeleton coming out for air. Such nonsense. Oh, you mean because it's already so well ventilated? Oh, how do you do, Mary Bennett? Hello, Mr. Raymond. Mm. Now, you tell me truthfully, is there a family skeleton in your closet? Oh, yes, indeed. And what's more, we make no bones about it. (laughs) But I'd uh, like to really get him out of the closet. I need space to store my Lipton's noodle soup. What a silly thing to say. Hmm? You know very well that Lipton's noodle soup comes in a tidy little package that takes up hardly any room at all. Oh. Fact is, Lipton's is convenient all the way around. It takes hardly any time to make... Costs less and makes lots more than canned soups. And when it comes to flavor, nothing can beat Lipton's. It's a grand, homemade-tasting noodle soup with a a chickeny flavor. And, folks, Lipton's is just swimming with tender golden egg noodles. It's like I always say, you just don't know how good noodle soup can be till you've tried Lipton's. And like I always say, tonight, put a tight hat on your head so your hair won't rise. And get ready to listen to No Coffin for the Dead. It's an original story by Emil Tepperman. And our star tonight is that famous radio actor, Les Tremaine, who plays the part of Tom Archer. Along the swanky East River Drive, all is quiet, except for the footsteps of two men who hurry toward one of the many tall apartment houses. Let me introduce you quickly to these two men before uh, death strikes out at them. 
The man on the outside, the tall, blonde man, is District Attorney Tom Archer. The other one, the lean, dark-haired fellow, is Tom Archer's assistant, John Frayne. Tom's really worried about something. I'll walk you to the door of your house, John. I, I don't like your being out alone this late at night. Whoever's been sending you those threatening letters isn't just... Look out, John! That fellow in the alley with a knife! Look out! Drop that knife, you! Oh, you... You've killed him. You've killed John Frayne. Don't! Keep back, you... No! Don't that knife, you... No! No! Don't stab me! Oh, that... That devil... Killed John Frayne. Stabbed me. I'll remember his face if I, if I ever see him again. I'll remember. When I began to regain consciousness after that attack, I was lying on the ground at the mouth of the little alley near John Frayne's home. A fussy little ambulance intern had just finished working over me. There was a small crowd around me. And I glimpsed the face of Detective Inspector Lambert just behind the intern. There. Feel better now, Mr. Archer? How was he, Doc? I about got him fixed up, Inspector Lambert. I think he'll be all right. He's conscious now. Can I talk to him? Yeah, but better not move him for a few minutes till the shock wears off. How are you, Mr. Archer? Oh, pretty good. I feel like a mummy with all these bandages. Yeah, both hands. What do they do? Jump you with knives? Oh, we... We were passing the alley. John and I... John? What happened to John Frame? Speak up, Inspector. What happened to John? Now, take it easy, Mr. Archer. John's dead. They got him in the back. Right through the heart. Oh, merciful heaven. John... Get a look at the killers, Mr. Archer. Could you identify them? Well, there, there was only one man. He, he came out of the alley. He stabbed John, and then he swung at me. I, I didn't have time to go for my gun, so I, I caught the blade in my bare hands. He ripped the knife away and stabbed at me. I, I don't know how many times. Six stab wounds, Mr. Archer. You're darn lucky none of them hit a vital spot. That was a brave thing, grabbing the knife with your bare hands. Probably saved your life. That's the mistake the killer made, leaving me alive. I've seen, I've seen his face. I'll catch up with him. If it takes the rest of my life. I was a bit shaky on my feet when Inspector Lambert and the intern helped me up. But I insisted on going over to where the body of John Frayne lay, covered with a white sheet. And then I saw Susan leaning against the great comforting bulk of old Mrs. Hogan, her housekeeper. She was looking down at the shroud that covered her husband's body. It was God's will, Mrs. Frayne. Susan. Oh, Tom. Tom, I can't believe it. The child. Be, be brave, Susan. John's dead. Nothing I can say will replace him. Have you any idea who the murderer is? Oh, I, I saw his face for a moment, that's all. But I'll recognize it again, I'm sure. Mr. Archer, 
Here's something we found in the alley. What is it, Inspector? Looks like the charm off a watch fob. It's broken off. A charm? Well. You recognize it, Mrs. Brain? Oh, no. No, it can't be. It can't be. No, no, of course not, Susan. There are hundreds of watch charms like this one. What is it, Mrs. Brain? That watch charm is... My younger brother, Peter, wears one just like it. Oh? Oh, nonsense, Lambert. You can buy those in any jewelry store. Besides, I saw the killer's face. It wasn't Pete. Mrs. Hogan. Yes, Mr. Archer? Please take Mrs. Frayne upstairs now. That I'll do. Come along, darling. I'll see you later, Susan. Oh, please stay here, Tom. You're hurt. All those wounds. I'll be okay. Right now, I've got to go downtown with Inspector Lambert and look at pictures while that murderer's face is fresh in my mind. At headquarters, I looked through hundreds of pictures in the rogues gallery. It was just two hours before I came upon the photograph. Lambert, this is our man. You're sure? Positive. I'll never forget that face. Turn it over. Let's see the name quick. Right. Bart Hogan. Good heavens. Bart Hogan. That would be the son of old Mrs. Hogan. The frame housekeeper. Lambert and I both remembered the case of Bart Hogan. It went back five years before John Flane had married Susan. Bart Hogan had lived with his mother, both working for Susan's father. One day, Bart Hogan had snatched up a kitchen knife and attacked Susan's father with mad fury. Only John's lucky arrival had saved the old man. John subdued Bart Hogan. The mad youngster had been committed to the state asylum for life. But he had escaped seven months ago. Nobody had heard from him since then. Until tonight. Great Scott. So that murderous kid has come back after all these years to get his revenge. I'm going back to the Frayne house. I, I want to talk to Mrs. Hogan. You think she might know where her son can be found? Who knows? I'll talk to her anyway. Uh, by the way, Mr. Archer. Yes? While you're up there, suppose you just kind of check on whether Brother Pete has lost his watch charm. The Frayne's occupied a top-floor duplex in the riverfront apartment house. I took the elevator up, and Mrs. Hogan admitted me. I'll take your hat and coat, Mr. Archer. Thank you. Mrs. Hogan, where's your son, Bart? Bart? Well, why'd you ask after Bart? Have you seen or heard from him since he escaped from the state asylum? What, what makes you ask that? Mrs. Hogan, that there's reason to believe that the person who attacked us in the alley... Is your son, Bart? Oh, no, no. Never say that, Mr. Archer. I'm afraid it's true. No, it, it, it couldn't be. I swear to you, it couldn't be, Bart. Why not? I I can't tell you why. But it wasn't Bart, I'm sure. What makes you so sure? You know where he's been hiding since his escape? You know where he is now? Oh, heaven help me. If you know where he is, you must give him up. But he didn't do it. He didn't. Believe me, Mrs. Hogan. I understand how you feel. But it'd be far better for Bart to go back to the state asylum than to be hunted for this new crime. If he didn't do it. Mr. Archer, if if I prove to you that Bart couldn't have done it, would you let him be? 
not make him go back to the asylum. Well, I, I don't know what to say. You see, I was downtown just now, and I recognized the picture of the man who attacked us. It turned out to be your son. There's very little chance that I was mistaken. But if I prove he couldn't have done it... How can you prove it? Well, come. I'll show you. Her usually ruddy face was drained of blood as she led me up the stairs to the upper floor of the duplex. And then along the hall to her room. I always keep the door locked. Go inside, please. Well, I, I don't see anything in this room, Mrs. Hogan. Well, over here, please, at the closet. Oh. Is that you, Ma? Is that you? It's all right, Bart, darling. I, I brought a good friend. Good heavens. You've been hiding him here in this closet? For seven months now. When he escaped from the asylum, he came here. I cleared out the closet. It just holds the cot. He lies in there night and day. Where's he, Ma? Why'd you bring him? What's he want? Now, don't be afraid, Bart. Mr. Archer won't hurt you. He wants to ask you some questions. Bart, have you been out of this room tonight? <laughs> out? Me? Not a chance. He tells the truth, Mr. Archer. Here, I'll pull the blanket back and show you the proof. There. Look at his legs. He was shot in both legs when he escaped from the asylum. I couldn't get medical attention for him, and the wounds never healed properly. I see. You must believe me now, Mr. Archer. Bart couldn't be one who attacked you, because, well, he'll never be able to walk as long as he lives. <laughs> didn't do it, and mind you, I said if, then who did kill poor John Frayne? Well, whoever killed him must have been a rather cheerful person because he uh, took life so cheerfully. <laughs> cheerful indeed. Mr. Raymond, you've always had such gruesome thoughts on your mind, you wouldn't recognize something cheerful if you met right up with it. Oh, now, Mary, aren't you being a bit unfair? No, I'm not. You just don't know what folks like. But you listen to me, because I'm going to make a suggestion that'll please everyone. All right. Folks, if you want to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, why not send them a package or two of Lipton's noodle soup? It's so easy to do. You don't even need a request slip. You know, a bowl of hot soup makes a mighty good snack for the boys. And when they receive Lipton's noodle soup mix, they're getting that old-fashioned kind of chickeny-tasting noodle soup. So send a package or two of Lipton's to your favorite service man. That's a terrific suggestion. And uh, here's another thing that pleases me. There seems to be plenty of murder ahead in tonight's story. Uh, remember that pretty little girl, Susan? Well, looks like she's next on the murderer's list. How about that, Tom? Come on, tell us more. And don't spare the gold. When I entered the living room on the lower floor, a few minutes later, Susan and Peter were there with Arnold Matson, the lawyer. 
I tell you, this is a serious problem, Susan, and we've got to find an answer to but it. there is no answer, Mr. Madsen. Oh, oh, Tom, thank heaven you've come at last. Hello, Susan. Hello, Peter. Hi. You know Mr. Madsen, of course. Uh, of yeah. course. Uh, I understand, Mr. Archer, that you narrowly escaped the same fate as poor John. Well, uh, I was lucky. Those bandages must be a nuisance. I can stand them. Bandages are better than a shroud. Uh, by the way, Peter, that uh, looks like a new watch charm you're wearing. What, this? Oh, I lost the other one someplace, so I bought a new one. What of it? Oh, nothing. Uh, Mr. Masson, when I came in, you were saying something about a, a serious problem. Oh, exactly. As you know, Susan's father left an estate of a million and a quarter dollars in a trust fund to be paid to Susan on her 23rd birthday. Yes, yes, I know. And she'll be 23 next month. But uh, there's a proviso in the will, Mr. Archer. In order to receive the inheritance, Susan must be married and living with her husband on that date. Please, Mr. Madsen, I, I don't want to talk about the money. Yes, but don't you see? You lose it all. The will distinctly says that you must be living with your husband. If not, then the money goes to eight charities except for $50,000 to Peter. I don't care. I don't care what happens to the money. Without John, it doesn't matter. Well, well, Peter, it'll be a break for you. What do you mean by that, Master? Well, there's no need to become enraged, Peter. I only pointed well, out... Well, you filthy rat, I'll show you what I mean. Look out, look out, look out. Let go of me. Let go of me. All right, all right, take your hands off me. Why are you all looking at me like that? Look as if you... If you thought I killed John. Well, say it. Why don't you say what you think? You better cool off a little, Pete. This is no time for a scene. Yeah? For that matter, Tom, aren't you? What about you? You'd like to marry Susan yourself, wouldn't you? Why, you rotten little... You better cool off a little, Tom. This is no time for a scene. I'm sorry. Yes, Peter, you're right. I would like to marry Susan. You know that, don't you? Yes, Tom, I know. Duh. You two look at each other like a couple of puppies in love. I'm going to get a drink. And nuts to the 50,000. All right, George, I've got it. Got what, Mr. Matson? The solution, the solution to our problem. What are you talking about? Well, that's it, don't you see, Susan? You can marry Tom Archer here, and then you'll be able to legally claim the estate on your birthday. Well, that's a pretty callous thing to suggest, Matson. Callous? I'm a lawyer. It's my duty to protect my client. I... I couldn't do it. Of course not. Look here, Susan... Is there anyone else in the world who would benefit by John's death? I, I don't know. I, I, I can't think. Oh, what's the difference? Are you still looking for clues, Archer? You know who the murderer is, young Bart Hogan. Why look further? Bart Hogan? Metson. How did you know about Bart Hogan? What? What do you mean? Well, I, I just come from Inspector Lambert's office. There, there was nobody present when we found Hogan's picture. How did you know about it? Well, it's really quite simple. I phoned headquarters a little while ago, and Inspector Lambert told me. Archer, Matson! Uh, what's that? Peter! Archer, come quick, in the kitchen! Come along, Matson, quick. Yes. You stay here, Susan. All right, Pete, take it easy. We're coming. Down the hall, the kitchen. Get hold of yourself. You, you open the door. I, I can't. Well, go ahead, Archer. Open it. Good heavens. It's Mrs. Hogan. She lay on the kitchen floor on her back with blood all over her clothes. The blood came from a gaping knife wound in her throat. And the knife lay on the floor alongside her. I found her that way. Her, uh, body's warm. She was killed within the last 10 or 15 minutes. Then, then the killer's running loose somewhere in the house. 
Susan. She's alone. Good heavens. There, on the floor. Susan. Susan, darling. Is she... Is she dead? No. No, no. She's... She's only fainted. The shock. Oh. Oh. It's all right, Susan. What happened? Was it... Was it Mrs. Hawkins? Yes. Who? We don't know. But the killer's in the house. That madman is liable to kill us all, one at a time. I have a revolver. Let's search the house. Right. Matson, you go in the kitchen and stand guard over that knife. There may be fingerprints on Very it. Very well. Peter, you stay here with Susan. Here's my gun. Don't be afraid to use now, it. wait. Wait just a minute. What is it, Matson? Has it occurred to you the killer may be one of us? One of us? What are you looking at me for? You were out of this room for quite a while. Why, you are a killer. Look out again. That's better. I'll take the gun. He was going to shoot me. Sorry. I lost my head. Susan, I'm sorry you have to go through all this. Everybody's on edge. There's a killer loose in the house, and we've got to find him. Yes, Tom. I know you'll do whatever's right. I'll try. Uh, You two... You can both stay here with Susan. I'll search the house myself. Manson, call the police. Yes, but how can you hold the gun with your hands all bandaged? You, you can't pull the trigger. I'll use it as a club. All right, now. Don't move out of this room till I return. Be careful, Tom. You mustn't let anything happen to you, too. I went slowly up the stairs to the upper floor gripping the gun by the barrel in my bandaged hand. At the end of the hall, I stopped before the door of Mrs. Hogan's room. I opened the door with the keys. Inside the room, the closet door was open. Bart Hogan was still lying on his cot. He must have been expecting me. His eyes were wild with terror. He had a long pencil clutched in his right hand, the only weapon he could find to use against me. His left fist was clutched into a tight ball. He watched me, stiff with fear, as I moved slowly toward him, across the room. Keep away from me. I had no time to waste on him. I swept aside the fist that clutched the pencil and brought the revolver butt down hard on his forehead. I, I went over to the window. Then I I went back to the bed and pulled the sheet. Pulled it away. Lifted him. His weak and withered legs dangled uselessly. I carried him over to the window, rested him against the sill. He opened his eyes. He was recovering from the blow. I didn't wait. I pushed hard. He went toppling out of the window. I leaned over and saw the body strike against the tenth floor setback, then go hurtling into the air and smash down upon the pavement far below. There wasn't enough of him left to perform an autopsy on. They'd never know his legs had been no good, that he hadn't been able to walk. Everything would be easy sailing from here on. Susan would marry me to save the estate. A million and a quarter dollars. Oh, I'd been clever enough. 
When I called out that fake warning at the mouth of the alley, I myself stabbed John in the back. Then I slashed myself up. They had taken my story at face value, Lambert and the others. I guessed that Mrs. Hogan was hiding Bart, but just as a precaution, I'd stolen Peter's watch chain and dropped it at the scene of the crime in case I should need another suspect. But when I found Bart couldn't walk, it became necessary to kill Mrs. Hogan, too, for she was the only one who could tell the police that Bart hadn't been able to walk. All I had to do now was go down and say I'd found Bart, we had fought, and he had fallen from the window. The perfect crime. I took one more last look down into the street where a crowd had gathered around Bart's body. I was able to make out the figure of Inspector Lambert bending over what was left of him. And I saw Lambert force something out of the clenched left fist of the dead body. In a flash, I remembered that feeble little pencil with which Bart had tried to defend himself. I pulled in my head from the window and glanced across to the closet. I saw it at once. A small white scratch pad. I rushed across the room and snatched up the pad. There, on the topmost page, were the indentations of what Bart Hogan had written on the page and then had torn off. I could read it clearly. I could almost imagine his terrified voicing of the frightened appeal as he wrote it. Archer was here. He means to kill me. He wants them to think I killed John Frame. But I can't walk. I've got two bullets in my legs. For God's sake, save me. Bart had written that note, meaning to throw it out the window. But I had come back too soon for him. And I had thrown it out of the window for him. I went back to the window and looked down. I saw Lambert peering up. Then he turned away and hurried toward the entrance of the building. He's coming for me. There's only one thing for me to do now. I've locked the door. It'll take time to break it down. In the meantime, I've taken the bandage off my right hand. I'm writing a full account of tonight's work. I gambled for a fortune. And I lost. He seemed like such a nice young man. Well, his trouble was he tried to commit the perfect crime without first practicing up on minor crimes. He should have started by stealing watermelons and then maybe tried his hand at robbing mail trains. Mr. Raymond, what are you suggesting? And just when I was getting ready to tell people to send a bowl of soup to the boys overseas. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't the soup get cold by the time it arrived? Oh, of course not. Why, Lipton's noodle soup mix comes in a flat package. Mm. You simply send it along to your favorite soldier. And he'll be pleased by your little gift because this noodle soup is just like a, well, just like a taste of home. So enclose a package or two of Lipton's the next time you write to him. Oh, gosh, I'm sorry you have to go so soon. But drop in again next Tuesday for another little blood fest. 
You know, some people have to commit murders to get a kick out of life. Others get their satisfaction from listening to Inner Sanctum. But, uh, word of advice. If you've got to commit a murder, please don't get yourself caught. Because if you do, you'll surely get a free ride with the only person never bothered by backseat drivers. I mean that they're hearse drivers. <laughs> By the way, this month's Inner Mystery Novel is A Time to Die by Hilda Lawrence. And now I guess it's time to close that there squeaking door until next week when Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup bring you another Inner Sanctum Mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. <laughs> Folks, here we are outside the squeaking door. And I guess we're all pretty shaken up after hearing about those murders. But I know just the thing that'll put us back to normal again. It's Lipton tea. Yes, a cup of that brisk Lipton tea would do just fine. And did you notice that word brisk? B-R-I-S-K. It's a mighty important word in tea language. The tea experts always use it. It means that Lipton tea has a a lively flavor. It's never wishy-washy. That's why most folks prefer Lipton's to any other kind. Now, don't forget, that's Lipton tea. And don't forget to tune in again next Tuesday night to Inner Sanctum. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Inner Sanctum Mysteries. Good evening, friends of the Creaking Door. This is your host to welcome you back into the Inner Sanctum for another half hour out of this world. Say hello to one of our hapless heroines. Her spouse said he was going to the club one evening, but uh, he brought it back and clouded her with it. The poor girl was almost decapitated, which shows what can happen when you lose your hair. Anyway, the whole affair was responsible for the song's success, You Hit the Spa. <laughs> Plaster your hair down, curdle close to the fire, and listen to Arnold Moss tell us his weird and shivery story. It was after sundown, and I was working in my garden fixing the roses when I first saw Jane Carter. The soft spring air was full of the smell of flowers, and in the cemetery next to my house, long shadows were covering the graves with darkness. Jane Carter was standing under the dogwood tree, the tree I never touched. I picked up the garden shears, and I came over to her. Oh, I didn't notice you in the shadow. Good evening. I hope you don't mind. I 
I was just admiring your lovely garden. Oh, do you love flowers, too? I adore them. Oh, then I will give you some of the roses. My roses won the county prize last year. Oh, I, I am Franz Narco, the caretaker of the cemetery. You live here alone? All alone with my flowers. Here, hold out your arms. Oh. Here are some roses. Oh, thank you. I imagine it must be lonely here. There isn't a house for miles. Oh, not too lonely. The dead are always near. Hold the flowers close to your face. All right, but, but why... They make you look even lovelier than you are. So young and charming, the roses next to your neck, they look like blood. Uh, really, Mr. Narco, I must... Hey, no. But, Mr. Narco... Be quiet. Those garden shears... What are you going to do? Don't be frightened. There's nothing to be afraid of. I'm just going to do this. <laughs> My dear. Oh. Help. Help. The little birds were frightened, but when she was dead, they began to sing again. That night, there was a full moon. And I buried Jane Carter under the dahlia bed. Police headquarters, Chief Dane speaking. Now Jane Carter is still missing. She was last seen yesterday afternoon. If we don't hear by tonight, we're going to send out an eight-state alarm. Yes, goodbye. Good morning, Ethan. Franz, how are you? Fine, fine, thank you, Ethan. I brought you some flowers. They're blooming early this year. Today is the 27th, you know. April 27th. Yes, Franz, I expected you. You haven't missed a visit on the 27th in 20 years. It seems incredible. On April the 27th, 20 years ago, my wife, Martha, disappeared. And at all this time, you haven't found any trace of her. Maybe we do know the man responsible for her disappearance. You don't mean you found her. Did you see the courier this morning? Yes. Did you see a small item about a pretty young girl named Jane Carter who was reported missing? Well, yes, yes, I did notice a little story, but uh, what has that got to do with my wife? I'll tell you, Franz. But this must be kept in strict confidence. Every year since your wife disappeared, we've had reports of... Two, sometimes three, young women who disappeared and were never heard of again. Just what are you trying to tell me? That somewhere in this country there's a homicidal maniac. A person who for some reason or other hates pretty young women. Huh? Hates them enough to murder them and dispose of their bodies. Oh, that's shocking. You think Martha fell into the hands of this maniac? Yes. Well, why didn't you tell me this before? I... I didn't want you to lose hope. I know how you felt about Martha. Well, she was so lovely. And only 19 when... You've got to find this person, Ethan. Franz, it's bigger than I can handle. Now, look, you've had more schooling than I. I know you read a lot in that little cottage of yours next to the cemetery. Maybe you know more about... Why a human being would do a thing like this. Oh, yes, yes, Ethan, I do know... It's because sometimes the, 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 the murderer 
has been hurt deeply. Maybe by a woman he loved who has been unfaithful. And when he sees other women, pretty, attractive young women, they, they remind him of her. And then he's suddenly overcome by a strange emotion to seize them, to overpower them, to make them suffer for what they did to him, to destroy them, to murder them, to... Go on, Fran. But that, that's what it says in the books I've read, Ethan. I've got to go now. Be, be sure to put those roses in water right away or, or they'll die. I won't let them die, Franz. Goodbye. Goodbye. I could have told him more, much more, how it felt to live in a nightmare of fear. How I tried to fight the wild surging of my blood, that mad, insane pounding that made me kill. Later that night, when the dogwood scent came into my room, I cried. I cried like a child. I, I was thinking of Martha, my beautiful Martha. Two days later, I saw Ethan again. He surprised me by knocking at my door late in the afternoon. Franz, I drove up here to ask a favor of you. Of course, Ethan, anything you want. I believe there's a tomb in the cemetery that's never been used. You mean the one old Mrs. Smith built? Yes, that's the one. Well, I, I always have to laugh when I think of it. Old Mrs. Smith was so fussy about that tomb, but she died at sea and she was never buried in it. Well, there's someone I'd like to have buried in it. There is? Yes. A young girl. Died of a heart attack. Helen Winters is her name. Judging from her clothes and those who knew her, she apparently comes from a good family, but we can't seem to locate them. Well, why don't you bury her in Potter's Field, like the others? Because I think her family will eventually want the body. Couldn't you put her in the Smith tomb? I, I, I guess so. I, I don't think Mrs. Smith would mind. Good. I'll have the body brought up in an hour. The body was brought in a coffin by Ethan and one of his men. I opened the tomb. There were no mourners, no one to say a few words. I cut some of my flowers and brought them to her tomb. Would you like to see her before you lock the tomb again, Franz? Why, yes. There. Oh, what a pity. She, she's so young and so... Strangely beautiful. She looks as though she would get up out of the coffin at any moment. I uh, brought some flowers, lilies, from my greenhouse. That's very thoughtful of you, Franz. You love these flowers, don't you? Well, they're all I have since Martha vanished. What are you doing there? Just looking at the petal. They're soft to the touch. Like a woman's skin. Yes. Ethan. What's the matter? You tore that petal. You ripped it. It's just a flower petal. Stop it. Stop it. Stop hurting the flower. Stop it, you fool. Stop it. 
sorry, Ethan. I didn't mean to hit you. I lost my head. I, I, I can't see anyone harm a flower like that. I couldn't sleep that night. Somewhere far in the countryside, a dog was baying at the moon. I went to my window. My garden was all silver in the moonlight. And then I noticed it. The dogwood tree. A strange glow like a fine blue fire hung over the branch near the patch of iris. It was shining with a light that was not of this world. And then I saw the face of Helen Winters. She was staring at the glowing branch. It was the dead girl wearing the shroud she wore in the coffin. I quietly slipped downstairs. On the way into the garden, I picked up the shears. You're Helen Winters. Yes, that is one of my names. But you can't be here. You're dead. Yes, I am dead. But this is a trick. Who are you? Look, I have something to show you. The branch of the of, of the, the dogwood tree. Yes, you see how it shines in the moonlight. Yes. Look at it closely. But why? What are you? Oh. You see it? There's a ring. The branch grew right through it. it Dream. Is it? But how did you... Give that to me. No. But that belonged to my wife. I must have it. No. I looked at her standing there among the flowers. Oh, she was beautiful. And the moonlight made her look like a woman in a dream. And suddenly I felt the strange power rising in my blood. I longed to touch her. Tightened the grip on my shears and came closer to her. Do you still like flowers? If you do, I know a way for you to get lots of them. Free of charge. <laughs> Where were we? Oh, yes. The flowers were blooming over all the bodies of the people Franz had murdered. And he was talking to a corpse who was picking dogwood blossoms by the light of the moon. The blossoms have a lovely scent. Have they? Those shears. Yes. I know why the ring was on this branch. Do you? And I know what you intend to do. Could you kill her with the shears, too? Come here. All right. I have your hand and its flesh. You can't get away now. I don't want to get away. You're not afraid? No. I'll show you how afraid I am. What are you going to do? You will see. Her face came closer. I felt her lips on mine. It was the first time I kissed a woman in 20 years. What was she, a woman? It was warm flesh I kissed, and I knew it. I broke away from her. I swung wildly with my shears, 
And suddenly I felt her hand on my face. I I smelled the scent of a thousand flowers overpowering me, making me giddy. She she swayed in front of me as I plunged the shears into her body. And then suddenly I felt myself sink into a sea of I, I opened my eyes. I was lying in the patch of iris. I saw the moon glowing blood red shining through the dogwood tree. I got up. What had happened? I must have been unconscious. My shears were lying on the ground where I had fallen. Helen Winters had disappeared. I picked up the shears, got my keys, went to the tomb. I opened the door, and then I opened the coffin. She was lying there, not a wound on her. I couldn't believe it. I raised the shears. I would find out that the ground. You'd better get away from that coffin. What, what made you come here, Ethan? Never mind. What's this? Sprig of dogwood and that ring. You recognize it? Yes. It belonged to Martha. I gave it to her before she married you. You murdered her, didn't you? Is it necessary to take out your gun, Ethan? I'm afraid so. You really believe I killed Martha? I believe you buried her under the dogwood tree in your garden. Oh, that's ridiculous. Franz, I want the truth. I want a full confession. What makes you think I killed her? I haven't any proof yet, but that body can be exhumed. I suppose you'd accuse me of killing all those girls who disappeared, too. Yes, Franz. I think you killed them, too. He looked closely at me. Suddenly I realized that his hand was shaking. He was frightened. He, too, was stalling for time. Why? Of course. There must be some of his men coming here. He was afraid to take me alone. What do you say, Franz? I can assure you it will be a lot easier for you if you confess. But I have nothing to confess. What made you come here tonight? It was just a hunt. You're lying. Look, look there. There are two men coming up here, policemen. I suppose they came here by accident, too. Where? I don't see anything. I have your gun, Ethan. Now get up. Get up! Franz... Franz, put that gun down. You don't know what you're doing. Oh, yes, I know. I know very well. I have been waiting for this moment for 20 years. No, Franz, please. You, you can't. You wanted a confession. Well, you'll have it. Yes, yes, I killed Martha. I murdered her, and she is buried under the dogwood tree. That's what you wanted to know, isn't it? Yes, but... Franz... And I'll tell you about the others now, too. I killed them, all of them. Their bodies are in my garden. And now, now is the time... For you to confess, Ethan. What do you mean? I mean you and Martha. Martha? She loved you. No, no, she didn't. I, I loved her. After she met you, she wouldn't have a thing to do with me. If that's why you killed her... Yes, Ethan, that's why I killed her. But you as much to blame as she was. No, neither of us was to blame. There was never anything between us, and I can prove it. You're lying. I have a letter here. Let me show you. Your lies won't keep me here until your men arrive. You're going to die now. No, Franz. Read the letter. Franz, don't. Read the letter. He was dead. 
And in his hand was a letter. I picked it up. I heard a noise. It was in the vault. I went to the girl lying so still in the coffin. Was she alive? I would find out. So you are alive. Get up. Get up out of that coffin. They're gone. Please, don't. Go ahead. All right. Now, please. Ethan put you here, didn't he? Yes. I'll explain everything. What happened in the garden? I had a little vial of chloroform. I broke it when you tried to kill me. The fumes made you unconscious. Chloroform? That was when I felt your hand on my face. And I kept stabbing you, but you would not die. How did he know Martha was buried under the dogwood tree? I told him. I dug under that tree while you were unconscious. Well, that's strange now, isn't it? You would never have known about it if the tree, as it grew, hadn't caught up the ring and pushed it out on one of its branches. It's as though nature itself were accusing me. Here, here, here. Don't you try to get away. Stand still. Oh, you are beautiful and evil like all of them. Like Martha. I'm going to kill you. No, don't. That gun is empty. Here, here, come back here. You're not getting away. I still have these. The garden shears. Yes, the garden shears. Let go of me. No, no, I'm going to... Are you up there? Help! Help me! Hurry! We're coming out! I ran out of the tomb. I saw four men coming across the graveyard in the moonlight. I ran. The girl came out of the vault and screamed. They began firing at me. I ran across the moonlit cemetery, stumbling, falling, running for my life. I, I, I felt a piercing pain in my thigh. I fell and struck my head against the gravestone. Here in the hospital, they tell me I will recover from my wounds. But of course I'll have to be tried. I know I shall be put to death. Oh yes, the, the letter Ethan tried to show me, it was just a few lines, dated April 27th, 20 years ago. It read, Dear Ethan, please come to see France and convince him that there never was anything between us and that I am not seeing you now. He doesn't believe that I have always loved only him. Martha. You see, my killing her was all a mistake. A mistake that twisted a thread in my mind. I would like lots of flowers on my grave. Lilies, roses, yes, yes, many, many blood-red roses. <laughs> Send me one dozen roses and put my heart in the side of them. Good old friends, he takes his popular ballad quite literally. Which brings us to the moral for tonight's story. Never decapitate the woman you love. You know how angry people get when they lose their heads. 
<laughs> and now, friends, it's time once again to close that creaking door. Until next week at this same time. Next week's story is about a boy and a girl who go off on their honeymoon and then discover that two's fine, but three's a crowd. Especially when number three is a corpse. Now, what the boy and girl said to that corpse and what the corpse said to them, well, you'll just have to wait until next week to hear about it. Until then, good night. Pleasant if you want to have fun being scared this is the show for you if a scene of horror brings to mind bad puns this is the show for you if people dying by the score in unlikely and macabre ways brings a childish thrill then inner sanctum is the show for you this anthology horror mystery suspense series ran from 1941 to 1952. While the stories will keep you awake at night, the most memorable part of the show was the creaking door opening and the host of the show, Raymond Edward Johnson, introducing himself as your host, Raymond, and clo closing each episode with pleasant dreams. At breaks in the story, he would comment on the action with gleeful mayhem. Comments like, looks like she got more than she bargained for, or he always was a head case. His ghoulish sense of humor and bad horror puns punctuated the stories. His influence can be seen in The Crypt Keeper from the various Tales of the Crypts, movies, television shows, and comics, as well as hosts for other anthology shows. When Johnson left the series in 1945, he was replaced by Paul McGrath, who maintained the sense of dark humor, even when paired with the light-hearted sponsor Lipton Tea. So turn off the lights, turn up the radio, and have pleasant dreams. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.